EG manages to take down the Mad Lions. Unbelievable 3-0 sweep. And I don't think North American fans could be any happier right now. As well as Worlds, Travis Gafford came out with a really interesting video this week talking about is Riot failing with Worlds and kind of agree, honestly, uh, with the notion that they are. So we, we'll get into that and give our two cents. And then some Champions Q drama. We will always get into any kind of drama, you, uh, no matter how little or, or how large. Um, episode 102 of the Clown Fiesta podcast with Blue Jay and JNT250 starts now. JNT, uh, okay, huge shock. I mean, to me, it's a huge shock. Not, not that EG beats Mad, but that they just absolutely clapped them. Uh, you could go- talk about how bad Mad looked or how good EG looked. The gap was insane. Yeah, it's funny because before the series started and sort of leading up to it, Obviously, everybody's doing their pickums, and one thing that Riot has in the pickums, and they had it last year as well, was the percentages for who was the the, the favorite, or trying to give somewhat of an accurate representation. And yeah. Mad Lions was like eighty five percent, EG was fifteen percent, I think. And yeah. while that's a pretty staggering difference, I don't think people really viewed the series with that big of a gap. But at the same time, people expected Mad Lions to win primarily on the notion that they're a European team and we're a North American team and North America has never beaten Europe in a best of five at an international event ever. Is it ever? And I guess I shouldn't say international event. I should say MSI and worlds because Rift rivals, that thing was a fucking meme. So yeah, I didn't know about that until the casters were mentioning it. I like, I was like, Oh really? Never. Which is, I mean, that's kind of sad. But hey, for the first time ever, North America greater than EU. And yes, I know it's one best of five. But like, okay, if you're really going to get upset at people for saying NA better than EU, you got to understand this has been a long time coming. And the amount of times that North American fans have had to watch EU greater than NA in any Twitch chat, any tweet, any Reddit post, any wherever... It felt like there was so much buildup, just wait, North American fans just waiting to be able to shout NA greater than EU without memeing, of course. Uh, and it finally happened. So on top of that, by the way, quick thoughts, JNT, on how the EG players or how like the community responded, because people fucking let loose. Uh, with I mean, we saw Inspired literally wave in their faces. After Dude, that they was won. hilarious. I thought it was hilarious too. So uh, full disclosure, I do not condone that kind of stuff. I don't, I think it's kind of BM if I'm being completely honest. However, I fully understand anyone. I mean, he hasn't even been in NA long, to be honest, but I fully understand anyone having that, um, that instinct to do that because for years, European fans have absolutely shit on NA fans. And I know it's not all European fans. I get that. I completely understand. There are some very well uh, non-BM uh, European fans, players, coaches, whatever. But I don't think NA fans can forget all the times that they've just been hard bashed and embarrassed and for once get the opportunity to feed it back to Europe. Um, so even though I don't condone it, I understand it. Yeah. And, you know, for whatever reason, Inspired is just becoming the villain for whatever reason, um, there was a Live lot of evil, talk. Man. I mean, yeah, regardless of him being on Evil Geniuses and the whole Live Evil meme, there's been so many North American fans even. I mean, there's been a bunch of flame from European fans, but North American fans more recently have been just flaming inspired. Like there was a Reddit post today where he was giving some interview where he was shitting on any solo queue. And 
what the fuck's new about that? Everybody shits on NA solo queue. Like that should not be a surprise to anyone. But for whatever reason, because it was a European pro player who came to North America and is now shit talking North American solo queue, now it's a bad thing. And now it's like, why is this guy doing this? Like, I really don't understand. Really? Like, well, no, dude, you should see. Like, I didn't see that. I didn't see it. That's that's surprising to me that people would have that reaction because I'm with you on this. Like, that's not new. Yeah, it, dude, it was. It's still on the front page of League Reddit right now. It's no inspired. It's inspired giving. It's a quote, like the headline or the the beginning of the thread is a quote from the article. And mm-hmm. there was a bunch of people on Twitter talking about it. No, most notably, Dom was just talking about how inspired is just suddenly turned into the villain when he's been one of the best junglers in both Europe and NA for the last yep. two years. Basically, he was the best jungler in Europe last year. Won MVP. Went to Worlds. Was a really good jungler. Came over to North America. EG is suddenly a top team in the league. Summer split MVP. This guy's the best jungler in the league, or at least was performing like it at the time. You know, yeah. we might get into some some other junglers a little bit later, but you know, inspired to me is like I don't understand why there's so much animosity towards this guy and why fans, for whatever reason, don't seem to be getting behind him. Like this is probably one of the best European imports we've had in the history of European imports in terms of impact on the team that he joined and just overall performances, because more likely than not, these imports normally fail. And this is one time where he brought over the LEC MVP. He wins a split, wins MVP in the summer split, goes to worlds, makes it out of plans and has a shot to make it out of groups. Like imagine if he makes it out yeah. of groups, imagine if he like goes on a run, like this guy is just, he's too good. I don't know. And the thing is, this isn't even a knock to the EG players, but do you remember like a month or two ago, we had the conversation about like, how is EG without Inspired? And I don't even remember exactly where we landed as far as like our conclusion on it, but I feel like as time has gone on more, I've felt more and more like this team is just not the same without him. Like, I think he has become more and more of an asset, uh, despite the fact that the other EG players are playing well around him. I still have to give him the most credit to me. He is still so obviously the MVP. And I think that this play-ins kind of showed that as well. Yeah. Um, I, the other thing too is, do you remember there was, what, what, what did he say? There was an interview. It was, oh, you know what it was? It was after they lost to 100 Thieves. And he was just blunt about why they lost. And people like kind of said like, well, he's not taking, um, taking like, accountability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to be honest, I think there was some truth to that. I, I do think like there was some things that he could have said that he should have done better. But for the most part, I don't think his intentions were I'm going to bash my team. I think his intentions were I'm going to tell the truth. And I think some people are just a little too sensitive to what the truth is or what his opinion is. Um, and I think maybe that's why some people give backlash to him. Personally, I love it. I don't think as fans, I don't think LCS fans get enough of the truth. I could just point to TSM as a perfect example of we never know what's actually happening in that org until way later something leaks, right? You have to wait till Bubblelift finds something out and then we find out what the truth is. And yeah. so I think with Inspired, within that interview, is just like, yeah, I think we lost because JoJo did this wrong and Impact did this wrong and this is why we lost. Great. No problem. As long as he's not just using his team as a punching bag and he's just being honest, I think it's great. So I can't say enough. Uh, good things about his honesty and the things that he does, honestly. Yep. Well, other than EG, we had a bunch of teams in the play-in tournament. Uh, we'll do a quick little mini review of the play-in group stage. We'll kind of get that out of the way because, you know, there's yeah. not too many notable things to talk about. I'll pull up the standings real quick here and recap it. Uh, in group A, we had Fnatic as a number one team with a 4-1 record. 
And then EG, Loud, and Detonation Focus Me actually had a three-way tie for second place because at the end of the group stage, they were three and two. They ended up playing tiebreakers where, what was it? Uh, EG had to play DFM, EG won. Then EG had to play Loud, EG won again. So they became mm-hmm. the number two seed. Uh, and then over in group B, obviously the big story over there was RNG not being the first seed out of the group. It was actually DRX. I feel like we even talked about this before, but this group was sort of a similar situation to last year's uh, playing group where we had LNG and who was the Korean team? Humble Life in the same group. And it was, you know, I think people were presuming that LNG was going to be that team to get out, but it was actually Humble Life. So pretty much we're in the exact same situation where people just naturally view the LPL higher than the LCK and the LCK actually goes out and outperforms them in the best of ones when it actually matters. So DRX avoiding those best of fives. And then, you know, it was kind of a question of who was going to get out and get that second seed between RNG and Mad Lions. They played a pretty t- pretty close game in the best of ones. RNG came out on top of that. So that dropped Mad Lions down to number three. I want to give my perception on the whole, uh, just while we're talking about DRX and RNG here, because RNG was the favorite and the team that we predicted to be number one. Um, the way I look at as far as like LPL versus LCK is, I actually tend to think the LPL has more depth but I believe the ceiling of both regions is just as equal. Like I could see LCK winning worlds and I could see the LPL winning worlds about as equally. Um, do you have any agreement or disagreement on that? Uh, I don't know, analysis, if you will. Yeah, I guess something, I mean, maybe the point I'm about to make is kind of what you're alluding to. Maybe I'm just understanding it a bit differently, but Specifically the way this year to be, to be, yeah, I, I mean this year, I yeah. see the LPL is having more depth. Hmm. I, I guess, uh, I'll, I'll split this into two parts because I would say not exclusive to this year, but the LPL versus the L- LCK overall. I've always viewed that the LPL has a higher ceiling in terms of the rosters that they bring to Worlds, their potential performances, the just raw skill of some of the players. But the, the LCK is just normally way more consistent. And I think over the last couple of years at the World Championships, we've sort of seen the LPL teams match those consistency like match that level of consistency because constantly you would hear this story year in and year out. EDG goes to world's number one seed. They flame out, don't even make it out of groups where they lose in the quarterfinals to some European team because they lost to the European team like two times in the quarterfinals. But now I think we're kind of, we're getting a lot more consistency out of the LPL, which we normally saw from the LCK every single year. And that ceiling of the LPL is still just slightly higher than the LCKs in my opinion. So while I do think that the LPL just naturally, I think does have the slight advantage over the LCK, you know, to me, I still view the LCK teams as a little bit more consistent. And I think while the LPL has gotten to that level, you know, if I was a truly betting man, number one LCK team versus number one LPL team, I'm going to go with the LCK team personally. But yeah, I, I think I would as well. But I don't feel like like I think that could change from year to year. Um, Maybe I'm just thinking about yeah. Chobi this year and thinking how, you know, like unstoppable but i mean we'll yeah. wait and see right like but, you're really going to get tested at world so and not that to say that he's never been tested but i'm just saying like i could see a world where genji loses to any of the lpl teams remaining honestly and it's not that genji's bad or anything i still they're my pick to win but i have a lot of respect for all the lpl teams as well and as you know jnt i've said i still think rng has a chance of winning worlds of course because they've won msi like they were the best team in the world, what four months ago or whatever it was, five months ago. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah. Well, then just to quickly jump on this year's point, because I definitely agree with you when you say the LPL has more depth, and I think a lot of that lies within the champion pools of the solo laners. Um, 
we've said this many, many times, specifically when talking about North America going to the World Championship, the LPL top laners are going to put it up your bum if you blind pick <laughs> some dumbass top laner. True. And that's exactly what we saw in this RNG DRX game where DRX goes to the blind pick Aatrox and RNG slams the Jacks last pick into the draft. And the way that the game was trending was Breed was just starting to take over yes. the entire game. You just saw RNG going topside, 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 topside. They went, I think they ganked topside three times in the first 15 yes. minutes of the game. They got they two did. kills off it. They burned his flash in the first one. And the game to me looked super, super doomed because RNG was winning the opposite side of the map while also being up two dragons. But then when the third dragon came around, they really fumbled the bag. Breathe kind of going in a little bit prematurely before his team was really in position to follow up. He then has to, you know, he basically gets one shot and DRX is able to pick up the Hextech drag and they kind of just continue to team fight very, very well um, into RNG's comp because it was pretty obvious that current RNG wanted to be sort of a, a split push style comp. And I thought that's what they were going to do with the Jacks pick, but their sort of decision to fight the third Drake when they didn't really have positioning and they were already up to drags like they weren't on the clock in terms of getting so like they could have given it up it would have been fine but you know you you kind of see different teams have different preferences in terms of if we have the first two drakes well definitely we want the third one because we want the fourth one or it's we have the first two drakes and we can give up one or two because we have the first two so it seems to be that sort of those two clashing styles there where some teams would be willing to give up a drake if they already have the first two whereas others want all four just right there in a row to begin with I just have a tiny little bit to add on to what you said, because I think you're absolutely right. The Jax was running away with the game. And honestly, if these two were to play each other again in like a best of five or whatever, I think I would still take RNG just with how much they were smashing that game. The one little hiccup, as you mentioned, was the Jax. I think you were talking about the Jax flank, right? Where yeah, was it was at the third team. dragon team fight. He's yeah. like hiding in the bush. And the one little issue is that he doesn't get his counter-strike off before getting hard engaged on by Rel and Maokai. I think it was. Um, yeah, he was going for that, he was going then, for max damage instead of yeah, like trying then, to CC lock him. And then he dies before he's able to get the Counter Strike off. And I, I don't even think uh, I don't even think Neela had done any damage yet. So like the AD hadn't even touched anyone before Jax is dead. And now you, at that point, you're pretty much for, fighting a four v five, and that's what swung the game uh, in DRX's favor. The other thing that I'll add on to that was I believe the only real pick potential to lock down Akali was Vi. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with Vi, but it is difficult for a Vi to do that into Rel and Maokai. And, and like, the other thing is too, once a colleague gets uh, Zonia's and she always has Shroud, like it's really difficult to pick off that, that unit or that uh, champion. And so it felt like the, the win con was very slim after they threw their big lead, right? If you have the big lead, I don't think that there's much of an issue, but once the game is even, I think you have very small pick potential in order for things to go to your advantage. And I think that's why DRX ended up coming out on top was RNG had very small margins for uh, winning fights. Yeah. And kind of what you said before, where, DRX was able to get themselves back into the game and RNG kind of threw away the three, four K gold lead that they had. Um, the game just became super team fight centric and you really saw the power of the engagers on the DRX side and the Maokai and the, and the rel. And if I'm going to have somebody on an engager, it better be barrel. Cause I mean, that guy's a beast on engagers. He was a beast on them when they won the world championship in season 10 on Damwon. And it's safe to say that he was part of the reason why DRX didn't look very good down the stretch in the LCK when it was like full enchanter meta because he was pretty much an engaged tank only kind of player. 
So the meta shifting definitely also helps this team, especially with the kind of champions that Deft is known to play. And Maokai, dude, Maokai, that champion is disgustingly broken. Like, holy yeah. moly. The ult is like better Talia ult in terms of fighting around objectives. Like you just press the you press the R button on Maokai and they can't walk up. Like we saw it in this game. We saw it in a couple other games. I want to say it was even in the Mad EG series in game one. Uh, you know, just you slam down that Maokai ult and you just have to sack the drag because you can't walk into it. You can't face check it because if you do face check it, you're just going to get engaged on because guess what? You're rooted for two, uh, you know, a second and a half, two seconds because you walked into the ult. So I don't know. It just seems really, really strong. I, I think Maokai jungle is probably the best jungler that we've seen so far at the tournaments. Just like as a pick, I'm not as big of a fan as the Maokai top because I just think it's like a shittier version of Orn, which doesn't give the bonus scaling. It doesn't have as good of team fighting. But, I mean, in terms of jungle, it's just god-dear team fighting. Yeah, and I think Meteos mentioned this on, I don't know what to call it. Should I still call it a co-stream? Whatever. A you live wanna, viewing. Live viewing, yeah. Um, he mentioned, he's like, I think uh, Maokai is going to be permabanned by the end of Worlds. And I think so, too. I'm surprised it's not getting there already. Because anytime it's left up, people are taking it. And I also think, I think that's one of the... Well, I think Silas is already meta and worth picking, but I think one of the reasons why you're seeing higher priority on it is like, well, if they get Sil or they get Maokai, we're taking Silas so that we have the LT as well. Um, I think that that's one of the reasons why we're seeing so much Silas also, because that ulti is so valuable. And like you mentioned, no one can walk up. Um, yeah, really effective ulti. Now, I want to focus more on EG. Is there anything else on the, the DRX RNG side of things before we can get um, to EG? No, they're both pretty good. They both got good chances of getting out of their groups, but we'll get into that later. Yeah. Um. So, okay, play-in starts. And I don't know about you, JNT. I didn't think EG looked good at all to start. Like, I think there was some, like, like I didn't think they played that well in the, their game against uh, Loud or whatever. That was either their second or third game. And there was another game that I don't think they played that well. To me, I thought one of the worst games... Um. Well, I don't know if it was one of their worst games, but the Fnatic game, they looked absolutely awful. Uh, they started off really well. Let's say that, right? They had the Caitlyn and uh, Lux lane. Um, they kind of just threw away by with Vulcan flashing to land the binding. And the thing is, I don't even know if I should flame him for that because if he lands it, people are praising him like crazy, right? Because they probably stick around. They probably get another plate and they really start to snowball the game. My criticism, if you will, is that I think they're already snowballing that game anyways. And so I don't think you need to go for a play like that. But again, I kind of feel a little scummy criticizing that because if he lands that, we're like, Vulcan's a beast and he pretty much just shut down the game for EG. Where do you fall on that? Sorry, I was thinking of another point to say. Sorry, you got to run that by That's me okay. again quickly. You know, what, you know what play I'm talking about, though? When Vulcan flashed Lux. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he ends up getting punished later by Rux on the Leona. Yeah, yeah. My point was that um, if he makes that play, people are praising him like crazy. Oh, yeah, it, it's... But my actual criticism of the play is they were already hard snowballing the game, and I don't think you need to go for a play like that. Yeah, so it's where do just... you fall on the, the like, should, should he get criticism for that, or is it just, ah, eh, he went for a play and it didn't work out? Uh, I mean, it's definitely sort of your risk versus reward management in a game. I know teams always like to talk about... Um, 
are you the type of team that just goes for the 90-10 plays or the 80-20s? Are you ones that are more willing to risk it and go for the 60-40 plays? And I think if we've learned anything from the LCS, EG is one of those teams that goes for those 60-40, 55-45 type plays. So I know me personally, I'm not going to fault Vulcan for something like that when EG is just in general, maybe not in the early game specifically, but EG is a very aggressive team when it comes to picking their spots and making engages. And Vulcan probably saw it, went for it, and hey, guess what? Fuck it. Sometimes you, you look like a dumbass. And you know what? Admittedly, I feel a little bit hypocritical bringing it up because even though I still think it's something you shouldn't go for, I always say that like I like the proactive play. I like trying to make the play and making them react to you. In general, I like that. Um, that was not one of those scenarios. I mean, it cost them really badly because Rox absolutely stomped on them later. Um, but in that game... As I was mentioning before, I thought EG looked really bad in that game. I could point to like every single player and pick an op- or pick a play where it was like, man, that was really, really bad. Like Cowrie f- taking forever, like a really, really late cleanse on the Leona, and then he just gets followed up CC'd anyways. So he he cleanses the Leona ulti really late, and then Leona jumps on him anyway. That's like you just may as well not even cleanse at that point. There was JoJo who saw all of Fnatic in his jungle and decided to still walk up and just died. Um, Then there was Impact, like, popping the Renekton ult way too early in the brush before the guy even got there. Like, little things, but they matter so much. And so, really rough start to the tournament, I would say. But as the tournament went on, I just thought they got so, so much better. Yeah, it it was funny because I felt like after the Fnatic game and then in the sort of beginning, in the middle of the first special one against Loud... It felt mm-hmm. like to me if uh, EG was like they had gone to Worlds and their confidence had got destroyed in scrims because yeah. they, were, they were probably getting shit on. And that's what it felt like. It was like, it oh, these guys probably way. got shit on in scrims and they're just going to play. They're playing a like complete ass probably because they yeah. haven't won a game in like a week. And so that's what it felt like. But as you mentioned, as the tournament went on, EG definitely got better and better. They did drop, you know, a crucial game at the end to I think it was a DFM to force that three way tie for uh, second place with the three and two record. But I mean, that was also a really great game out of DFM and EG, you know, based on their tiebreaker games and their knockout games look really good. Yeah. There was the sad, uh, against DFM, the first game, the sad face check from impact. Yeah. That one was rough because I think they had scuttle and like, if you have scuttle, you should be able to see them walking in towards dragon. Even, even without scuttle vision, I'm pretty sure Jojo had vision, of the river like i think jojo was in river so i think impact should have known that hey they're not on drag but i mean that feels a little nitpicky because again as the tournament went on he got so much better he started getting solo kills in the top lane there was the one play the one fight against dfm i think they lost that game but the one fight they're hard losing it but his atrox is absolutely cleaning up later on um yeah that that was in the game they lost yeah and then obviously is the the atrox pick seemed to be Highly prioritized. I think they first picked it today. Yeah. I don't know why that champion is not getting permabanned either. Like maybe there's just yeah. too many champions and you need to permaban, but I think I don't remember what the stats were, but the champ was something like twelve and four in the first sixteen games that it got played. I think that says something about a champion when you're blind picking a solo lane like that. Like top lane usually is like left for counter picks you know or like you pick it forth to like, <laughs> like i mean usually you don't blind pick it first unless there's an op and well i guess that's an op right there any blind pickable champion in professional play with a very high win rate is gotta be just bonkers i mean yeah 
I know, I know we always talk about on the show, at least like we don't, numbers don't tell the whole story and we're always like big proponents of that, not to take random numbers or random facts, like and shoot those to the moon, but dude, like 75% win rate champion that's getting blind picked in almost every single game, just ban that shit or like get your dicks out and play jacks into it because I don't know. Champion looks pretty bonkers. The healing it is does. just ridiculous. And the other thing they don't understand, like with the, the Aatrox is ridiculous too. Though. Well, and for whatever reason, you know, they buffed, I mean, they buffed like mom, Malmortius, And now there's a lot of double AP, uh, kind of compositions coming out from a lot of teams, whether it's AP mid jungle, AP solo laners, but they're just giving Aatrox the free path to the just never die build of Death Stance, Mob Malmortius, plus Core Drinker, or Eclipse. Like you just never die if if you're facing double match damage comp. And the weirdest thing is just seeing these Aatrox picks. Or sorry, when an, when a team early blind picks Aatrox, and then you're picking a bunch of AP into it and just allowing him to go to the small item, which allows him to live forever. Doesn't make any sense. And the game to me where we really started to see EG turn it on, quote unquote was the tiebreaker uh, versus DFM. That to me, I mean, you could point to the tiebreaker versus Loud, but Loud kind of just threw them the game, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to give Impact all the credit in the world, but I can't ignore that they just ran it down topside and Croc was just hard trolling and then Impact picked up a million kills. But to me, the game against DFM, if there's one team fight that I actually really want to highlight, it, it's, I, I timestamped it, 23 minutes, guys. If you want to go look at the DFM, the DFM tiebreaker, versus eg 23 minute team fight you just see such nice plays by so many of the eg members first vulcan lands the hook and then jojo lands the the combo on hecram and he waits for hecram to use that ultimate before following it up ulting back while executing hecram and then taking the lantern out was so clean you had the aphelios land the ulti snipe on on the nar like just so many nice plays from eg and that to me was like where that was the play where i'm like okay eg is playing good now like, that was where, to me, I was like, this is not the same team we've seen for the early parts of play-ins. Um, so that was a really good sign coming into today's best of five, in which, obviously, the best of five became a best of three. Yeah. I mean, should we just move on to the, to the best of fives or the knockout stage? Why not? Yeah. I don't have anything. I don't have any graphics for this. But, I mean, we'll talk about uh, the ones that happened yesterday, yesterday being... Monday, which were the matchups of Mad Lions, Saigon Buffalo, and then DFM and Loud. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I honestly don't even remember these games. <laughs> <laughs> how many games? The thing is, how many games have we watched, man, in the last... Like, I, I, I actually want to know if you get this too. Do you ever get, like, an overdose of, of games when, like, it's... These are long broadcasts, man. Oh yeah, I like, mean they're ten hours, like or not today at least. My memory, man. <laughs> at least, at least with the play in group stage, there were some long broadcasts. Let's say. Yeah, I mean the tournament started awful because there was. Yeah, they played one the game COVID in shit. two and dude, a half I hours. Going to be a disaster. I yeah, thought dude, I thought the... I thought they were going to like fucking pack it up and just like oh. they were going to go like online mode or something. I, I was like getting a bit nervous. Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be bad because, I, I mean, technically that still could happen with groups, right? What if someone gets COVID? We're, we're not really out of the woods yet. But anyway, but I, I mean, I, I, well, the best of one thing that I will say just lastly on that is apparently there was a bunch of false positives. So I don't know if it was people who actually had COVID or if it was a bunch of false positives. I know in the Fnatic bottling situation, they actually had COVID, but with a lot of the with a lot of the players not being on stage 
in the first couple days of the playing group stage, that was because of false positives. So if that see. eases your your mind a bit. Well, I wonder how much teams are doing like I don't want to say bubble, but bubble esque kind of things. Like guys, probably. Like, I would hope that they're any, being somewhat like, serious about it. If you guys are hungry, just let me know. I'll go get the food and drop it off at your door just to be safe, kind of thing. Like maybe they have some of the the staff doing that for the teams. I don't know, but um, anyways, I I hope they do because even though it's I don't expect them to have to do that because that's a big pain in the ass to live bubble life. If there's anyone that can adapt to it, I think it's League of Legends players. <laughs> um, but anyway. Um. Okay. Well, back on track. Quick summary of the series, at least the first ones. Detonation Focus Me versus Loud. Yeah, Loud got fucking dicked. They should have lost 3-0. You know, I like the passion that, you know, Loud was getting on social media yeah. and on the broadcast. Like, it was cool. Like, they were, you know, pulling out some statistics talking about how, like, they're the most interacted team in the playing stage in terms of, like, impressions on social media and whatnot because they have such a huge fan base. But I, th I thought it was pretty cool just all the love that they got throughout the tournament and all the support yeah. that they were getting. It made It made me, a person who doesn't even give a shit, about the CB lol actually have some sort of interest in this team watching them play because normally I, I couldn't give a fuck who's playing in these minor regions like I really couldn't care less but the story behind it and you know just seeing passionate people about it, it's like oh, okay cool let me watch their games and actually like have some interest but they got their shit kicked in by DFM it should have been a 3-0 DFM just for whatever reason like Olaf just ran them over in that one team fight in the first game but you know Yaharong say... and Yudapan were just dicking their opponents on repeat yeah, the whole series I, to your point about them having like a lot of fans and creating hype i i definitely agree but i would also say that people have become big fans of dfm as well over the last couple of years because they've kind of been that minor region team that seems to you know not perform like a minor region last year obviously making it to groups i mean yes first time but still respectable i believe they looked pretty decent at msi as well was that them at not this MSI that just passed the year. I was prior. 2021 MSI, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, the year prior. Then that was that was where we started to see them have a lot of success, I would say. And so I think that people are starting to become hyped with them as well. So I think in that series, you kind of had two teams that people actually care about, which you can't normally say about minor region teams. Yeah, that 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 series was the closest in terms of the percentage of what they received in terms of the pickums. I think it was 66% DFM. 33% loud like you know two-thirds one-third kind of thing so you were cheering for loud I like, no I like DFM I mean mm. I just mean it it just gave some reason to like have some sort of interest in the team it wasn't like okay DFM's kicking these guys teeth and it's like oh okay loud these guys are actually kind of cool and I mean they did the they had that one clip where Brant's like flexed to the camera with the bot cap on him on his uh, yeah that was hilarious and that was that was really funny speaking of Brant's guys Look at JNT250 and tell me he's not Brant's without the eye nope. piercing. Nope. Yeah, I uh, I think we found a match. He's got black hair. I got brown hair. I can't say I was the one that pointed that out, but one of one of our friends pointed that out, and I can't stop seeing it now. I think JNT and Brant's got a little bit of a clonage thing going on there. Now we all we got to do is we got to get your hair a little different color and give you an eye piercing and really put it to the test. Nah, I'm good, thanks. Okay. Uh what what was after that? Uh there was <laughs> I don't remember. It was Mad Lion Saigon Buffalo. Oh yeah. That was actually kind of a closer series in terms of games 1 and 2 at least. Uh games mm -hmm. 3 and 4 were pretty big stomps in Mad Lion's favor. But even game 1 
was a pretty you know exciting game game two as well saigon kind of just came out the gate and smashed them but it did we we always talk about like was this a close three one no it wasn't a close three one mad lions was the better team but you know saigon put up a decent fight another team that people have a big interest in uh because uh of the whole visa situation and them being at msi and them just having you know a pretty good social media presence um that to me seems to be the main thing with a lot of these minor region teams if you just have a good social media presence and sort of get your team and get your players involved specifically in terms of it being north america at worlds because we've seen the lcs like shit talking on twitter is just the number one pathway to getting recognition or you know notoriety at all and a lot of these teams joined in with that and it just kind of made the playing stage more exciting and the VCS finally we got them back, so Saigon Buffalo was able to be there. You know, were they the best of teams in the playing stage? No, but they tried some things. They tried Zach Mid a couple times. Didn't really work out, but yeah, true. I, I respect for the Zach Mid. I yeah. loved it. Um, I would say that in the best of with um with Madden and uh Fong Vu Buffalo, if you will. I don't know, Saigon. Um, yeah, I know. I, I thought I that was where I was actually kind of scared. Like, I, I don't get me wrong. I was kind of scared about Mad Lions anyways. I didn't think that that was a team that you should just look over. But, I mean, El Yoya was kind of beasting on the Belveth. Um, mind you, I think that was permaband against them today, wasn't it? Yeah. And even Niski looked like a completely different player yesterday playing the um, uh, the Vex as well. Now, I don't know. Did, did the Vex get banned against him today? No. I don't think I got so banned a single play. time. Interesting. I don't see it on the ban list. They had the same <clears throat> they had the same bans for two of the games. First three at least. Anyways, when it came to I, I want to talk more about today's series. Do you have anything else other no, than No, no, we'll we'll move on. So let's get into the EG Mad series that we watched today. Um I mean, where do you want to start with this one, JNT? I, I don't even know where to start. I think they just look better than them pretty much everywhere. I think a lot of the criticism was thrown towards Niski, and I didn't think Niski played that well, but I I didn't think he played that bad. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the thing to me, kind of looking at this series as a whole, it just felt like Mad Lions, they never got their comfort picks, and they just didn't look very good. I know there's the whole meme about Armut and him playing... He's got his champion ocean of Dinonar pink chroma, Dinonar blue chroma, Dinonar green chroma, but like they just banned Nar every single game in the series. Armut did not look comfortable on any of the picks. He, what he picked Orn, Gwen, and they picked Rumble in game one, which was like kind of out of left field, but made sense a little bit he in terms did of. did have the nice Rumble ulti that one play, right? Where they kind of swung things back in their favor a little bit. It looked like a losing fight, and then the nice Rumble ult came down. Yeah. It, I, it, think they, I think they went even on that fight. So I, I got to give some credit to that. Yeah. Is there it, any it, like standout bad plays from the Rumble? I don't even remember. Not really. I mean, it made kind of sense into their like team fighting comp, and they had a bit of pick potential with the Vi and the Rumble. You kind of saw that uh, do it, do some work a little bit in the early game. I know they got like one pretty good gank off where they did Vi ult into the Rumble ult, and. He got toasted, but I mean, EG just implemented the very simplistic game plan of, hey, let's ban out their best champions. And guess what? It worked perfectly. They got rid of Elioia's best champion in the Belveth. They got rid of uh, Armut's best champion in the Nar. And they got rid of one of Unforgiven's best champions, Seraphine. Seraphine. Yeah, they banned banned Seraphine two of the three games. And not to say that that's, you know, one of his best champions, but it's a strategy that Mad Lions was using a lot of early on in the playing stage. And it just felt like 
Madly didn't get their comfort picks and they didn't look very good. And it just seemed to be as simple as that. I mean, they were obviously individually playing very, very bad. But in terms of how the games played out, the team fighting, the early games, they just didn't look comfortable. And the the place where I get the the Niski criticism from was listening to Doublelift Medio Sneaky. I think they were going like way too hard on Niski. I, I when I was yeah, rewatching, I, mean... I was just rewatching like the highlights, trying to see like because I, I mean I wasn't really seeing it what they were seeing when I was watching. And I'm and the thing is they have a tendency to kind of dogpile. Yeah, on, on one, one guy, player or, or like. Or, or focus too much on one guy like oh what's he doing wrong and i don't even know if they realize that they're doing it but they kind of do um and i think it gives a skewed perspective of how the player is actually performing there was a couple of moments that i'm like okay this was bad so the one uh it was game one it was like he was at red buff near dragon and he like flanked and eg clearly spotted them but then he went in anyways and just died i was like okay that's an int the other thing that I could point out was he was getting hard clapped by Jojo Pionset in game two. Other than that, there wasn't anything too egregious. Uh, there was the one flank where he ends up getting caught, but like EG was on Baron. I think you TP flank that all the time because you need to stop. You need to find a way to get them off Baron. And yes, he dies in the flank, but you pulled them off Baron. So like there's some good that comes out of that. To me, I, I guess I, I wouldn't say that he had a good series, but I, I to me, I think they focused way too much on him being the reason they lost, and I just didn't see it. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a little bit of a a shared effort in terms of the inting that was going on because Elioia, he looked pretty terrible. Um, Kaiser, I wouldn't say he looked terrible, but he kind of just looked ineffective. Um, it's always, you know, you never want to be... In my opinion, you never want to be that guy in a series who did nothing. Like he didn't do anything good, didn't do anything bad, but he didn't do anything really for the yes, most that's part. Fair. And Armut just, like I said before, you know, just didn't look very comfortable. Was pretty much down in every single lane, except for game two. He actually had a little bit of a lead in the Orn versus Gangplank matchup because they threw a lot of resources at him for the first three minutes of the game, burning GP flash and getting a kill early on. But other than that, I mean, Armut just kind of looked outclassed which was surprising considering that impact normally acts as a neutralizer in whatever lane that he's in, but he was just losing to impact straight up minus that early part of game two. Well, and not to mention impact was getting hard clapped by robo against their game in their game against mad, right? Like in lane I'm talking about. And I, I mean, it's one game. So, let, but like, I'm just saying the, the difference of what you would expect from what we had seen so far in plans coming into today, you're not expecting impact to just hard stomp. Um, maybe you would expect that if you only watched the tiebreaker against loud. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, the one guy from Mad Lions that I thought looked good was Unforgiven. Obviously, is you could tell that he's a dream. He, he was the other guy getting all the praise on the on the on the live viewings. Oh, was he? I didn't even recognize that. Oh, he was. Um, I mean, he was he was mechanically playing good. really well. Yeah, yeah it, like there was so many. That was the only guy from Mad Lions that like. Me as a viewer, I was afraid of. I was like, oh, fuck, look out for that guy because like, that guy's kind of beasting on the Draven. There wasn't really much else that I saw that was too like, oh, look out for that guy. It was just that. Um, but even him, you could point to like in game one, I guess you could kind of point to both bot laners. They push up to tower. They should know full well that EG's bot lane is rotating down. And Vulcan gets the nice Tom Kench knock up and they end up getting the double kill for the Varus right away. So like, I mean, that to me is a perfect example of like, they should not be pushed up, but also really nice play from Vulcan landing everything, getting the double kill from for Varus. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I could go on about more plays for EG. 
they looked good everywhere. Yeah. Um, if I had to pick one person out for me, G, um, it probably would be Vulcan. Um, mainly because I said this on Twitter. Um, but dude, Tom Kench one v nine in that first game, straight up. I mean, you just you, you just mentioned that bot play that he had, which you know basically turned the tides in terms of uh, bot lane farm and gold and whatnot. At a, you know, I don't know when it was, like maybe ten, twelve minutes. And then pretty much every single team fight was munching priority targets when they got CC chained or when they were getting with the Vi Rumble ult combo, like he was eating up the correct target. Yeah, sure. You know, you might have sacrificed somebody else, but you eat the target who's getting caught. And to me, Vulcan was like straight up the guy who won them the game in game one and just overall had a really solid series. I mean, I thought his Braum in game three was also really good. He was playing Yumi in game two. So like, what the fuck? Like, you know, you so, can't really do too terribly on Yumi when your team is winning. So. To- one Yumi ult was a really nice zoning ultimate though in the you know where raptors are kind of mm-hmm. on the bottom side of the map like yeah. that was really really nice I do have to disagree with the whole 1v9 thing the more I think about it because I'm looking at my notes here um and I have to point out that EG started throwing in game one you remember they lost a few guys in the in the jungle and then mad goes to Baron but then impact just well he just completely erases Niski and I know you could point to Aatrox being busted but he land all three parts of his Q and just erased Niski from the map not allowing uh, Mad to get that Baron. I think if Mad gets that Baron they win that game. So I gotta give some credit for to Impact for I don't know if they win the, the game but See I think they do. I think they're, they're, I think they're getting game. mega outscaled so I don't know. Just my opinion though. Yeah, I mean, I guess we won't ever know because that didn't actually happen. But the game was definitely starting to swing in their way because EG had the lead early on. They just kind of threw a little bit. And Impact said, no, I'm going to erase Niski and kind of save them from getting Baron. So that's one area that you could point to. The other is the amazing steal (laughs) from from Inspired on the Maokai. I don't know how he got that Baron, man. He does the twisting whatever the W is called on Maokai, flashes in and just smites and takes... I don't even know if he had vision. I don't know how he did that. But it's, that was a huge... just yellowing in there. <laughs> that was insane. And so that was another play where it's like, mm, I think it was more than just Vulcan. Even, even if I totally agree Vulcan had a great game. And I could totally point to Vulcan being a reason why they won this game. I just don't think he was the only reason. That's fair. I mean, can't disagree with that. Because, I mean... A lot of other members on EG played really well. Mm-hmm. Um, then we go over to game two. I mentioned how Jojo Pyun was kind of just shitting on Niski mid. The thing that was crazy was not only was he out trading him mid, there was worries going into that game that there wasn't enough AP. And then someone on the broadcast made the joke of like, who cares? You got true damage. And I was like, well, okay. I can see why they say that, even if they were kind of joking, because Jojo was still putting out great damage in team fights. Um, the other thing is Niski is known for roaming. Like that's that's his thing is shove and roam and help out side lanes and get advantages over there. Jojo was out roaming him. The one play mad go for a dive bot lane. I, first of all, I don't really know why because they didn't know where Yumi or Jojo were. The point is, oh they that still yeah ended that up was going for so that dive. Brief. Yeah, they still ended up going for that dive, and Jojo is there in time to help them say, oh shit, we shouldn't be doing this. They pull off from the dive and get cleaned up because Yumi and uh, and Set show up. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Good plays from um, from EG for roaming over and recognizing that the dive is about to happen. And shame on Mad for thinking they could do that without knowing where those two guys are. 
Yeah, I mean, Elioia, in that play you're mentioning specifically, like that, like just starting up a dive there is just so random when you have no vision yeah. of two crucial members. And that's a that's a, to me is an area where like why aren't we pointing to that instead of just saying oh Niski is no, I, running I, I it agree. down? You know what I mean? I yeah. agree. Like there's that I was do. the reason. If, one of the reasons why they lost that game. I know, you know, in the live viewings, which we were probably watching, you know, in Twitter or whatever, they probably putting more, they were probably putting most of the blame on Niski. I put it on El Yoya. That guy played like fucking dog shit. I mean, like straight up dog shit. Niski was, you know, he unfortunately was following plays in a few of the ones we talked about earlier where he's flanking behind. Like, guess what? Like when you're behind and you're trying to look for a fight, like when you're the flanker, like you kind of just sometimes you got to go in and you might look like a dumbass and int, but you have to do it sometimes. And, El Yoya, he just his. What's the word I'm looking for here? His uh, selection of plays that he went for was not very good. The whole series, a little bit questionable, perhaps. Yeah, and I mean, just individually, was obviously not playing well either. I mean, he had yeah. he had a he had a good start to game two, you know, with the ganking top lane thing. Um, mm-hmm. He did, but that other than Trundle, uh, he was playing Trundle, right? Yeah. Other than that, yeah, he was horrible. Yeah. Um, and then on the other side, his counterpart inspired. We, I mean, we mentioned how this guy has been such an important piece for EG and how I, I personally, I think that I, I think he's kind of the brains of the operation. I mean, and you got hands in like Jojo, for example, um, I, I inspired is God, I can't say enough good things, man. First of all, that guy's a sniper on Sejuani. He's like the opposite of Smithy alt meme with Sedge. <laughs> uh, I, he lands them all. <laughs> Really good instincts with with the Sejuani. Also, I guess you could say the same thing about Impact, too. It felt like EG was just landing all their Sejuani ults, so that's one good thing. The other thing is, in Game 3, he ganked top twice with Lee Sin and got the game snowballing early. He was up uh, by with two kills by six minutes in that game and was like, that to me was the real dagger, if you will, in the series, was like, I'm not even going to give Matt a chance to have life in this series. I'm going to start stomping them early and often. And, well, they did, so... Um, and then our other series that we had today was RNG versus Detonation Focus Me. Now, after the quick 3-0 of the EG versus Mad Lions, everybody was expecting a nice quick 3-0 of Detonation Focus Me. And well, that did not happen because game one, DFM came out and just put their nuts on the table and just picked Giga Chad Teamfight Comp and just beat RNG. They were pretty much even in every single lane. Steel was making a lot of great plays early on on the map. And then you saw the team fight power of Kenan, Maokai, Yone, basically. Mm-hmm. With, Even you know, tr- I mean, good, he's too. playing 80 carry, so, you know, I'm not, yeah. there's nothing special there, but, you know. Insert 80 carry here, yeah. and you're going to have play, to play, play any carry, play any 80 carry in that game. Obviously, Trist being a engaging type he 80 carry was. Really well, oh, he I did. I don't want to make it I'm, sound like, oh, he's just, uh, yeah, I, I know, I know you know that. I just don't want to make it sound like we're not giving him any credit just because he's playing 80 carry. He's, he, he's looked fantastic the whole plan. Yeah. Mean, yeah. He, he did look fantastic. Um, and then things went to shit. You know what this series reminded me of? It reminded me of FlyQuest versus TL. Yeah, honestly, same. Game 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 two was super game, sad though because I feel like if Yarong actually built like real items and didn't build the Bork tank build, I feel like they would have won that game. Like there were those two huge moments in the sideline where they're running down Aatrox for what felt like two minutes, and then he barely lives with one HP and RNG shows up, cleans up the rest of the fight. I I just you know if you're building actual damage, you probably just kill him there and you peace out. No, but 
I mean, it's maybe not as simple as that, but it just really felt like those two plays where they're trying to catch breathe in the side lane with, you know, Sejuani Yon and just dealing zero damage to him because he's out healing all of their damage was just so sad when they had a lead in that game. Like they had a lead. I thought they were going to win game two. I was like, holy shit. The yeah, out to be up two zero. And then side lane play. Oh, fuck. They couldn't kill him. I got just got blue balls. Oh, fuck. They couldn't kill him again. I'm not, oh, dude, it was so sad. Yeah, things fell apart really quick. And I guess that game two is where the series was different than the TL Fly one, I guess. Yeah. Because I don't think any other game other than game one in that TL Fly series was close. Whereas this one, game two, DFM could have taken it, which I, I'm not going to lie. Even if they went up game two, I think everyone would still have reverse sweep in their mind just because it is RNG. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I still thought DFM had a good tournament. They still continue to look like one of the better minor region teams. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this is the last time we see those players. I think we'll see them around for a little while. Um, and hopefully we see them at MSI next year and maybe Worlds next year. Yeah, I mean, here's one thing. That I'll, I'll, I'll pose a question right here. Mm-hmm. If in a world where DFM wins out on those tiebreakers and finishes as the second seed in Group A of the plans, do they beat Mad Lions in the best of five? Based on what we saw, I think they beat Mad Lions. Yeah. But maybe uh, maybe that had something to do with, you know, what EG did and them banning out the OP champions. You know, maybe DFM right. doesn't do that and they get their OP right. champions. But if you would have inserted DFM into EG's situation that they played that best of five against Mad Lions, I think DFM wins that. So, you know, it just kind of goes to show the importance of those best of ones for the playing stage because that seeding really matters. You being the two seed is so, so, so crucial. I mean, obviously, you want to be the one seed, but if you're not the one seed, being the two seed is super important because you're basically getting a much easier best of five. I think it's totally fair to bring up the performance level that we saw today, uh, but I also think you're right to bring up the, well, maybe DFM doesn't ban out these champions and maybe the matchups are different. So I can't just say automatically that DFM beats Mad, but I think it's a fair point to bring up because I do think DFM looked better against RNG than Mad looked against EG, which, uh, yeah. yeah, big surprise. But again, I, I still think EG played really, really fucking good, man. So like maybe you just have to give credit to EG. I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of tough there. Um, before we move on, just some other little questions that I want to ask you. Do you have an MVP of play-ins, JNT? I think I just have to go with Deft. I mean, that guy, he's too good. I don't know. He was looking like, what was he looking like? He was looking like season 10 Deft when he was on DRX before he did his little one-year stint with Hama Life where he was just winning all the time. So I got a few honorable mentions here. The rest Um, of DRX? Before I pick one. No. (laughs) Um, One is upset uh, because I think that he absolutely smashed in pretty much every game. Not only that, though, like the one Except for the loud game game where he got solo bullet, but... Sure, but the the one game that won them the group, in my opinion, was the game against EG where they're getting hard stomped under tower because you're against Caitlyn Lux, right? Yeah. But then they still end up coming back in that game, and now he's absolutely styling despite being in what is a really tough situation. So that's one mention. Obviously inspired. Uh, I've gone on the whole episode about how good I think inspired is, so I won't say any more of that. Um, I guess in short, I'll just say I think this team struggles a lot without inspired. Uh, and last one is Zeka. Is it Zika or Zeka? It's Zeka, right? Hey, who the fuck knows? We'll probably say one, and it'll come out and be like, "Oh, sorry, it's this actually." Yeah, yeah, that happens every play-ins, honestly. Um, but the Akali game, the game that the, the again the deciding group game i guess the one where they beat rng 
Um, I think his only job is to not die because he's the target. I mentioned earlier how they have Vi. Vi's going to want to shut down the Akali because it's Akali, right? That's the reason you pick Vi. And he didn't die at all in that game and still put out a shit ton of damage. Yep. So, um, and then obviously he continued to shit on everyone else as the group went on as well. But that to me was the, the most uh, important performance, I guess, for them to take number one in the group. So those are the three honorable mentions. I think I still got to go inspired. And I know, I know people are going to be like NA bias. Yeah. Uh, there's bias. I'm not allowed to, th- I'm not saying that I'm deciding with bias, but I am an NA fan. You can't, I can't not be an NA fan anymore. Uh, and I do think that he looked the best um, for his team. So I, yeah, I'm given inspired the MVP and you can get mad at me yet if you want. <laughs> <laughs> two mvps uh, let's go inspire yeah, yeah um last question jnt is there a new player that you think is lcs bound if you would no not necessarily lcs but your jose diodos of of past where like he had a really good play in two years back and ended up getting an lcs spot or you mentioned uh who else did you mention earlier when we had uh river last year river and then aria i think as well yeah well aria went to the lck but still right you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a really young player. He was on DFM last year, actually. And I remember I predicted that you can go back and check the fucking episodes. I predicted it. I said he was going to be in the LCK, and it happened. He wasn't very good, but, you know, we won't talk about that. We'll just talk about the part where I got my prediction right. Very good. Um, for me personally, I-, I didn't have anyone that stood out that much that I think they would get a spot. Now, I could be wrong, right? There's probably, I mean, scouts have their eyes on these games, right? Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if there's someone, but there wasn't anyone to me that stood out as like, someone's got to sign this guy, uh, other than Brant's just for brand <laughs> recognition. Cause I think there was a lot of more Brant's fans, but I don't think you build a team just because a guy writes some marker on his arm and flexes. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the one guy that I think, you know, I, I pretty much maybe the one guy I would really only point out as being a, from what I saw, a really solid player in a minor region team that didn't really do a lot of damage at the tournament is Shogun on Saigon Buffalo. Mm, okay. um, he's probably the only one that I thought, you know, he kind of felt like, you know, a bit of a doggo situation where kind of an unknown guy just shows up and starts carrying the fuck out of games. And yeah, they're playing games. are not against the best teams, but seeing that potential skill ceiling is always really important when trying to evaluate a player. It's an important part of evaluating players. Obviously you want sort of longevity and consistency, but you're gonna sometimes you need those kinds of players who just have the fuck it I'm going in moment and kill everybody. Yep. So Fair it'd be enough. him. If I had to pick another one, it might be Husha, but it, he was the jungler on BYG. But I think part of that is because I thought he was good last year. I don't know. I don't think he was that great this year, but I just remember his performances last year on BYG being pretty decent. But I probably unlikely that he's in NA. Maybe he goes to like yeah. The the bigger issue is like LCS specifically doesn't really have a jungle demand. Yeah, you know? um, that's why that I say Shogun. Really, doesn't mean it can't happen, but it's just less likely to happen this particular year because I think North America is mostly not completely, but mostly set on junglers. But yeah, yeah. Uh, should we move on to the group stage now? Yes, what we all came here for, what world is all about, the group stage. Yeah. Uh, Take it away. I don't even know where to start with this one. Yeah, I mean, we might as well just go group by group. But uh, first group, Group A, um, as we all know, the 2017 version of the group in 2022, we have Cloud9, T1, EDG, 
and Fnatic joining the group after making it out of the playing stage as the first seed from Group A. And obviously, people have, they've been talking about the storyline of C9T1 EDG, them having the same mid laners as they did in their groups in 2017. And in that group, if you recall, C9 and T1 made it out. EDG and AHQ did not make it out. Um, but to me, this group feels like it really depends to me on how EDG looks. Because if we see the EDG of early LPL and we see the EDG of Season 11 Worlds, I feel like EDG's got to be the number one team in this group. But at the same time, if we see the EDG that we're normally accustomed to seeing at the World Championship and not Season 11 EDG, I feel like EDG could be third or fourth even because just the way that we've seen them historically play at the World Championship. And, you know, we, we talk about Fnatic. They're a team that is always performing well at the World Championship, regardless of the situation. Maybe let's exclude last year because that was like pretty, you know, extenuous circumstances. But for the most part, yeah. Fnatic is always playing well at Worlds. And on, it's funny because we were talking about like what issues Fnatic might have just in play-ins alone uh, because there was, you know, we didn't know when players were going to play. And I, I know we kind of mentioned like there's a chance that just everyone on Fnatic shows up and everything's fine. And yeah, that's what kind of happened. But even this, like, I still wouldn't say they're out of the woods as far as like they still haven't had as much time to practice as everyone else. Yes, they have time to to prep now and whatnot and to get scrims in now, but you're still in a, at a disadvantage, right? And that's something I don't think you can let go, especially when you're in what is a pretty competitive group, right? You got the number one seed from North America and then obviously two absolute powerhouses in T1 and EG, EDG, even if they aren't number one seeds, you could kind of look at those teams as being world's contenders, obviously, right? So Yeah, I mean, T1 and EDG, you just kind of look naturally yeah. at title contention because T1 is T1 and EDG just won worlds last year, even though they're the LPL number three seed, people still recognize that this is a really, really good team. I know we might we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about this a little bit when we get to group B, but for whatever reason, the word in the LPL community is that you know the seeding that they are at Worlds doesn't necessarily reflect where people believe they'll actually place in terms of who's actually the best. Well, and we also mentioned this kind of a little bit earlier, but the LPL has depth, right? And if I'm going to have faith in their fourth seed, I may as well also have faith in their third seed, right? It's not like, like, don't get me wrong. My pickums are pure hopium for NA. So my pickums wouldn't necessarily accurately depict uh, how good I think the teams are. But I, when I'm thinking about uh, are these teams good and will they get out? Obviously, you need to point to T1 and EDG getting out of this group. Now, my pickums, on the other hand, hey, what, let, has, speaking of pickums, what are your pickums? Let's let the world know. Yeah, yeah, I got T1 number one. Of course, I put Cloud9 number two, and then I put EDG and then Fnatic. And yeah, again, if you want to get mad at me for being biased, I don't care. Get mad. Uh, and I hope you. Let's fucking go. Yeah, um, for my pickums, I did T1, number one, EDG, number two, Cena, number three, Fnatic, number four. and So you went full uh, tryhard, should I say? You didn't give no yeah, I, no uh, hopium, even as a Cloud9 fan? I never, I never, okay, maybe this is a bit of a superstition, but every time that Cloud9 has made it out of groups, my pickums have Cloud9 not making it out of groups. And the one time, ah. the one time I had them making it out of groups, I did it in season nine when they were in the group with Griffin and G2, and they got absolutely fisted hmm. 
So maybe this is a superstition. So you're of, doing your best to get them through the group. Stage. No, well, I'm doing what I'm normally doing, which is thinking that they're not going to make it out because guess yeah. what? They probably don't make it out on doing the majority of cases, but hey, <laughs> they find a way. It is crazy how often they do find a way, but that's, I mean, yeah, I'd be lying if I said that I put them number two because I think they're going to find a way. Um, I don't believe that just because they've done it in the past, that means that they'll do it again. I literally put them there because NA hopium. That's, I'll admit. Yeah, and if we want to get a little realistic here, the only way that Cloud9 is really going to be able to contend with T1 and EDG is if they're playing at that same level as they did in the summer playoffs. Because if we see the Cloud9 that we saw for the majority of the summer split, they are not going to do very well at this World Championship. However, right. if we see the, you know, the fucking Zoomer Berserker, uh, Jensen, who's playing you know, like a world-class mid laner and always does at international events, and a high-level non-inting blabber, which we didn't necessarily see for the entirety of the summer split, but as the split went on towards the end of the regular season and throughout the entire playoffs, a blabber was playing really, really well. And let's just say that this jungle meta might not necessarily be his meta in terms of the champions that are in it, and it might have to come down to his decision-making, which always hasn't been the the greatest thing to rely on because to me i see the jungle meta definitely shifting sort of tank oriented i'm expecting a lot of vi a lot of maokai throw some sejuani in there maybe we even get some jarvan in there at some point but i'm not really expecting this to be like a leeson olaf you know carry type jungler i meta. could see vi being great for him though for blabber like he's a i'm going in yolo kind of guy that's what vi does yeah and i mean honestly, maybe the hecrum too right there's a lot of people playing hecrum i don't know I, i'm not high on that champion at all it looks like dog say, shit i was just about to say there's debate about how good hecrum is but clearly teams have thought that this champion is good enough to pick uh because we've seen it a few times and that's another champion that blabber plays pretty well so um just because we haven't seen it have the most success does not mean that Blabber will not have success on it. Uh, that guy's played Olaf a million times when it's not meta and looked like an absolute monster. So you don't necessarily always have to play meta um, well, to win games. And I think, well, if, if we want to talk about those kind of comps, specifically if Cloud9 is going to run them, I think with the state that we're in right now, you have to design your comps around those champions, I think. On the Hecarim point, people are kind of just, or at the beginning, people just viewed Hecarim as, we pick Hecarim because he's OP. No, I don't really think that's the case. I think you need to sort of comp around Hecarim a little bit. Looks really, really well when paired up with the Seraphine in either the mid or the bot lane, preferably the bot lane. That was sort of the Mad Lion strategy that we saw pretty early on in the playing tournament. They just picked, I think it was three of their five games. They played Seraphine bot with Hecarim. Maybe it was two, two out of the five games. But I think that pairing works really, really well. Obviously, Cloud9 plays Zillion. That is a massive champion for. That's a massive, you know, pick for champions like Olaf and Hecarim. Should Blabber want to play those? Um, we saw. I mean, Inspired played Lee Sin in their third game today. Lee Sin did get buffed before Worlds. However, I think that was the first Lee Sin game we actually saw in the whole play-in tournament. Was that game three against EG Mad Lions? So, I don't think I remember seeing the champion get picked. I'll double check here right now. But I thought we had seen it. And regardless, you, you took the words right out of my mouth with the Zillion thing, because I could totally see a world where Blabber locks in Olaf and has Zillion just to go ape shit. I, I could totally see that world. Um, and, and who knows, right? Things could change. Metas adapt as worlds goes on, right? Okay, like, what we're seeing now could be very different from what we're going to see two, three weeks from now. Okay, well, apparently Lucian's been picked five times. I guess I haven't been paying attention. <laughs> 
That's what I thought it had been picked. Uh, that's that's really funny. Okay, hey, whatever. I don't want to go too far deep into into the groups because there's not been any games yet. So I'd like to move on to Group B. But do you have anything else that you want to say on Group A before I just cut you off? Uh, no, I think Group A is. I mean, obviously, me being a Cloud Nine fan, Group A is going to be exciting. But I think just the way the group is and the teams that are involved, I think this will probably be the most competitive group in terms of first place and last place. Like there, the gap won't be massive. Gotcha. I mean, we've said that before, right? TSM 06. True. Uh, anyway. Yeah, literally copy paste of that group from 2020. Yeah. This is going to be the most competitive group. Anyone could beat anyone. TSM 06. Nine man sleep. Okay. Group B. Yep. Group B. Um, it's not up on my screen yet. You talk. Okay, it is. Um, for whatever reason, I guess, is this an alphabet? No, this isn't even alphabetical order, but the graphic has this one wrong in comparison to the group A one. I sold this off Lolly Sports this Twitter. I was going to this with your pick that we have on screen. No. Okay. These would definitely not be my pick -ems. However, um, group B, uh, JDG, LPL number one seed, uh, G2, EU number two seed, DAM one, LCK number three seed, and then EG made it out of the playing stage, obviously, as the fourth seed in this group. Um, you know, we're, we've been talking a lot about EG. Unfortunately, they've been drawn into the consensus group of death this year at the World Championship, having a JDG, the number one LPL team, G2, who people view as the best European team, regardless of the finals performance against Rogue, for whatever reason. And then Dam one who is just... You know, they may not have been the best team in the LCK for the majority of 2022, but when you have Showmaker and Canyon on your team, anything can happen. That's that's my biggest issue. So again, just uh, my pickums. I went JDG, then EG, then Damwon, then G2. Yes, I know. Uh, full Hopium. If if I'm looking at it from like which teams I actually think as far as skill order, I would then go JDG, then Damwon. Uh, then G2, then EG. And That's the what I had my pickums as. And the reason why is because I can't get by, like, I know that Damwon is not the same team that won Worlds just a couple of years ago, but you just mentioned the two players that I can't get out of my mind when I think about this team and how much they take over the game, right? Like, I still think Showmaker is an absolute monster, and I, can't, I just can't get past that to actually say that they are... Um, not a contender for worlds anymore to win the championship. And so even though I don't have the moving on in my pickums because my pickums are full XD and a hopium, I, not I think full. that this team, yeah, nearly full. <laughs> um, I still can't, uh, yeah, just ignore the, the strength of this team, I guess, and say that I the, like they should get out of the group, I guess is what I'm saying in short. Yeah, I guess the one unknown is, um, I don't know if we know what the top lane situation for Dam one is. They were playing both Nuggery and Birdall in the LCK Summer Playoffs, to the surprise of many, because Bertol seems like he's bad. I don't know. <laughs> I've never been impressed with that guy when we saw him at Worlds last year on Gen G, and even during the LCK Spring Split, because I've watched a ton of LCK in Spring, not as much in the Summer, but didn't look very good. So I don't know what the deal is with the top lane situation, but what I do know is if one of them is struggling, they'll probably make a substitution. Yeah, I'm interested to watch this team because I didn't watch a lot of LCK this this year. And so I'm really interested to see 
where the skepticism has come from, you know? Because is it just as simple as, oh, they're not hard smashing all of their games anymore, so people don't think they're that good? Or is there actually some areas to point to where it's like, no, this guy clearly is worse than he was before. And so that's kind of what I'll keep my, like, this team is one of the teams that I'll really have my eye on outside of, of course, the North American. And uh, obviously we got a G2 versus EG once again. We had them up against each other at MSI. EG didn't look very great against G2 uh, for the most part, but they get a chance to have their revenge after taking revenge on Mad Lions. But I'm not going to lie here. This is looking 06-able for EG. Really? I yeah. Mean, I, I could totally see why you say that, right? Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, I, I think it's still fair to say that it's more likely this EG team goes 0-6 in this group then the TSM 0 and 6 when they were in the group. I mean, we obviously know how that turned out in the end, so lol. Um, but yeah, I think the 06 is more likely in this one, despite the fact that I don't think it will happen. I still do not think I I think people continue to put uh G2 up there as far as like the um the G2 of old, where they were a legit world's contender, like team to win worlds. Uh, and while I don't think it's impossible for them to win Worlds, I think they're far less of a contender than they were in years past. Uh, the only guy to me that still seems at the top of his game is Caps. Um, but even Caps, I still don't think is as good as he was in, what was it, 2019? When they went to finals? Yeah, I mean, it was 2019. I'll throw him a Despite bit of... like the fact that he's still an absolute monster, though. Like, I, I still recognize that. But I do think that um, we've seen him better in the past. That's all. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree... With your point there, the one bone that I will throw them that I guess I do disagree with is I think Broken Blade has the kind of style that is really successful at the World Championship, having a very wide champion pool, playing a lot yeah. of carry champions, and willing and to a great split too. Yeah. to be fair, and yeah. willing to take the you know a counter counter pick aggressive matchups that are high risk high reward. He's you know to me he's one of those Western players that will take the Jax or the Fiora or the Camille into a blind pick Aatrox, and you know play it as a skill matchup and basically say, I'm, I'm going to beat you because I'm better. And I don't think there's a lot of Western players that you can really say that about. Um, the other one will be Caps, who is on G2. And I do agree with you. He's still looking like he is at the top of his game, at least what we saw in the summer split. Um, but I just think G2 and EG are going to be fighting an uphill battle here because uh, JDG, they're looking really good. Obviously, number one LPL team. You got to put a lot of stock into that just in general because of the strength of the LPL and the way that they design their playoffs. And... You know what? Maybe it's just some like a bit of bias here, or just some LCK hopium. But I just think that Damwon is—I I just can't like bet against them. Really, I don't know. Feels hard to. Yeah, no, I, I think this—it's fair to say this is the group of death, especially for EG. They're in a tough spot because let's be real: all three of the teams in their group are better than them. Um, yep. But the better team does not always win. And especially in best of ones. And so that's why I'm given the EGNA Hopium angle. Uh, group C? Yep. In group C, we had, once again, not in order. Don't know why. All sports, you're cringe. Uh, first up is Rogue, who's the number one LAC team. Then Top Esports, LPL number two team. Followed by the Gigamite Marines, the number one seed out of the VCS. And then DRX, slotting in there after getting first seed in the playing group B. Now, speaking of the group of debt, this is the group of life. Because I guess I would say it's a group of life because the Gigabyte Marines are a huge wild card in this situation. You know, we haven't seen the VCS at international, or sorry, I should say we haven't seen the Gigabyte Marines at international competition since 2019. 
They are pretty much the sole reason why the VCS has really been featured in the World Championship and at MSI now. Them getting two seeds along with the PCS are the only teams that have two as opposed to one for the minor regions and three or more for all the major regions. And, you know, there's just, to me, it seems like a lot of solid teams. I, I don't think that, I mean, Top Esports is obviously the team that everyone seems to be talking about as the favorite in terms of the LPL fans out there. Because they all, what for whatever reason, I, I, I'm just saying what I'm hearing because I haven't watched any LPL at all. I've just watched highlights of some of the playoff matches, but everybody still says that Top Esports is the best team. Um, and part of that is because Tian is looking really, really good. Jackie Love is looking really, really good. Knight is looking really, really good. And those are obviously their three best players and three players that you want to be at the top of their game going into the World Championship. However, Rogue, they had a bit of a glow up in the LEC because they are looking really, really good. And, you know, I think... Did you see my pickums already? I saw your pickums. You, you want to let the people know? You want to let the people yeah. know? Yeah, I put Rogue number one. Then top esports, then DRX, and then Gam. Uh, okay, I, I mean, I'm in the same boat as you. I just add for full disclosure here. I did not watch LPL, um, so feel free to flame me for not watching four major leagues or whatever. Um, I was really, really impressed with how much better Rogue's bot lane got as the split went on because I was watching, I watched all of the LEC games in the first, I don't know, like seven weeks of LEC or whatever. And I was really not too impressed with their bot lane. Now I didn't think their bot lane was horrendous or anything, but to me it was, that was clearly the weak spot of this team. And then when playoffs came around, I was incredibly impressed with their bot lane. And so that enough, that is enough for me to give EU some, some points of, of hopium. If I'm going to give it to NA, I should feel like I should give it to EU as well. Because I think this team looked, yeah, I don't know. Their trajectory is on the way up. So I went, eh, you know what? I'll give EU a number one spot. Um, upsets happen all the freaking time at Worlds. So why the hell not? Yeah, um, for my pickums, I did Top Esports 1, DRX 2, Rogue 3, Gigabyte Marines 4. Honestly, I feel like I'm still on the fence with Rogue and DRX, mainly because I was super impressed with Rogue's summer playoffs. However, Maybe a bit of recency bias seeing damn or sorry, not damn one DRX just smash everybody in plans and all of their players looking really, really good, especially ones who you wouldn't have expected to look really good, specifically their soul laners of Zika and Kingen, which are two of the more lesser known players on their squad. So I don't know. I'm not really exactly sure where I fall with this group. The one things that I do know is I'm putting top esports number one and I'm putting gigabyte Marines number four. However, to me, this feels like the group that is just going to be all over the fucking place. This feels like the the group. What was it? Of life. A. Well, yeah, I guess I guess group of life. We said that at the beginning, but it just to me feels like you know with the pickums, you might feel confident about you know whatever. I feel like this is going to be the one where pretty much everybody's got it wrong, and the people who had you know flipped the coin are going to be the ones who get it right. So that's kind of the reason why I went with Rogue is because I do think that this group is really open. Also, I hit the flip the coin button just to see what happens. It's, it gives you a warning. Did you see that? If yeah, you, you hit, can't you take it back. Coin, it's like, you can't change this after. Yeah. And I'm like, why not? What if I want to flip the coin six times and then lock it in? Like, I don't know. Anyways, um, I thought that was silly. But I, I don't have much more to add to this group. I, need, I don't need to bullshit anyone. I have not watched most of these regions, so. Yeah, I would just say, I know I pointed out in the, bin, the mid laners for Group A, uh, obviously because there's some storyline behind that. 
But uh, Group C, the fucking junglers in this group are all cracked as hell. I mean, Tian, Pioshik, Malrang, and Did Levi. Like, have wrist issues last year? Yes, but apparently yeah. those aren't so, uh, as prominent, I guess. Right, and my point in bringing that up is because I think that was a big part to them just absolutely collapsing last year. Them being um, FPX for the people who didn't remember. Yeah, th thank you for that clarification. So I just, that's one thing that I think is important to point out. If you're thinking, well, they just bombed out of Worlds last year and Tian looked like shit. Yes, but he was struggling with wrist issues at the time. Um, and I think that, obviously, I think that that is really, really going to influence your gameplay. So that's just something that I want to say is like, if you're expecting them to collapse because they did last year, I think that's apples and oranges the story unless unless of course maybe he's having wrist issues again but no reason to believe that that's happening at this point in time mm -hmm. okay group d yep we got group d now um we have genji the number one lck team ctb C jesus i'm gonna butcher this every time ctbc flying oyster the number one seed out of the pcs followed by 100 thieves the second seed from the lcs and then rng slotting in as the Fourth seed after beating EFM today. Um, yeah, I'll just get my pickums out on the table. I went Genji number one, RNG number two, then 100 Thieves number three, and the Flying Oysters number four. Now, I have not ever watched a Flying Oysters game, full disclosure. Uh, people might be like, why are you full Hopium for Cloud9 and not for EG? Uh, this simply goes back to the finals. I remember saying, going into the finals, that I didn't really see too many holes in the lineups of, of the players. And I was partially wrong on that because even though I didn't think the players necessarily underperformed, um, I, I guess you could say Abadage did. So that was one worry that I had from the last time we watched him. Abadage looked a lot like he did at the start of summer when he was really struggling, which we hadn't seen for quite some time. So that, to me, really came out of left field and was a problem. But the main problem that I have with 100 Thieves the last time we saw them is they didn't have any other answers outside of just well, honestly, really sad drafts, honestly. The Nami Lucian didn't really seem to do anything and they didn't have any other answers. And that's, I remember we talked about that. And then the episode of Hotline League the following week, I believe, came out. Um, and it was, um, God, I can picture his face. Uh, Max Waldo on there saying like, we knew all of their bands, like just knowing exactly what they were going to. And that to me is the hole that I think I missed when judging this team is you need to be able to draft different things and you cannot be predictable, especially on the world stage. And until I see them being able to whip out different strategies and different things that they have success with, I have a hard time saying this team's going to move on. So I guess I ran out of the NA Hopium for 100 Thieves. Um, but that doesn't mean I like this team any less than the other two NA teams. It's just uh, I'm a lot more worried for them. Yeah, um, I had my pickums as the exact same thing. Um... My main, I guess the only discussion or thoughts that I had in my head was just if I was going to put 100 Thieves either third or fourth, and I landed on putting them third primarily just because of the LCS's track record against the PCS slash LMS historically at the World Championship and at other various international events, and I don't know, I guess I'm just kind of working on the assumption that the second best North American team is going to be better than the first placed PCS team. And that's really about it because I haven't watched any PCS. I don't even know anybody even on this roster. So I have no idea. That makes, that makes two of us. <laughs> but, you know, they have a cool name, so maybe they can win a game or two. And Gen G, are they your pick to win the whole tournament? Yep. 
I picked Genji as my pick him to win the whole dang thing. Mm. I don't even know if I've gotten to that part yet. I'm pretty like, sure. Are you talking about the pick'ems thing? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I forgot. I did. Yeah. Which team will win worlds? I, I did go Genji. I forgot about that. Hmm. Yeah. So me too. Okay. Uh, I don't have anything else to add. I think we'll have a lot more to say once there's games to talk about. Is there anything you want to add, JNT? No, I think that's it. All right. Let's get the quick news then. Yeah, we got some quick news. First thing, biggest thing. I mean, maybe not the biggest thing for right now, but the preseason 2023. Uh, not notes because they're not patch notes, but uh, it's a big thing though. Like I think it's fair to call it a big thing. Any any time you're changing the game, which they yeah. pretty much do every preseason for the most part, I think that's pretty big. It's gonna change how the game is played in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll start with the pings thing. A lot of people are like, "Why do we need these pings?" I think the pings are good. Wait, people the are only... saying that. Why do we need the pings? The pings are great. We need more pings. I mean, well, to to be fair, I I think the biggest issue. For for me, anyways, is the pings are cool. In-game comms would be better. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously. I've, I've, continued, I've continued to say that always. I can't believe you can't add in-game comms with this fucking game. I don't know what the reason is. Is it they're afraid people are going to be toxic? People are toxic regardless. People are equally as toxic in Valorant. That, too. Like, you have another game with open comms. Now, I know people are going to say, well, you need comms in Valorant. Sure. I would argue that you need them in League as well. People have just thought that you don't really need them because we've gone so many years without them. I feel like if there was comms in League and people then took them away, I think people would be losing their minds. I think it's just that the game was made without comms and so people have kind of just gotten used to it. But I would argue that comms are tremendously important in League of Legends and I don't think you need to ping all this different shit when you could just talk to someone. But hey, that's me. Yeah, stop being cringe at comms. What else stood out to you, JNT? Um, I mean, stuff? yeah, I, the main thing that, you know, the majority of people were talking about was the various jungle changes that they're making, but specifically mm -hmm. in terms of the, uh, what's the, what's the correct word I should go for? The extra tools that you will have as a jungler, especially for newer junglers in terms of them changing the mechanics of the leashing on the jungles and also providing uh, you know, recommended paths for whatever champion you're playing, you know, camp timers. I think they're adding like exact camp timers for everything or something like that. Um, maybe, maybe that was just, I don't know if that's exactly true, but I know that that was talked about a lot, um, with regards to it, but a lot of people for whatever reason seem to be upset about the whole situation with Riot continuing to, to dumb down the jungle role for newer players and in my opinion, newer players only, because if you play jungle, you kind of know what you're doing. And one of the problems that Riot's always talked about is it's very difficult to get new players involved in the jungle role. Um, and I think that making it easier and more, I don't want to say more accessible because that's not what it is, but just more understandable, more accessible, more understandable to the average player or the, you know, a new player. I think that definitely helps. But at the same time, I'm also a believer in when it comes to the jungle specifically, a lot of the skill expression in the role comes down to your pathing and your ability to read the map and then communicate with your team based on what you're reading on the map. And, you know, I think they're kind of, for whatever reason, seem to be going away with that, with adding these recommended paths and changing the leashing on jungle camps to where you cannot double jungle anymore. And when I say double jungle, I don't mean like 
the old double jungling where two champions would walk around double jungling. It's where you're killing two camps at once. They're pretty much removing that, which I think was a really cool mechanic for, you know, experienced junglers to, you know, you know, show some of their skills. Like that was, that's a common thing on a champ like Fiddlesticks, uh, Kindred. I know people do it where you're constantly getting the, the talisman healing. People do it on Evelyn, um, bunch of champions where it's super, super useful. And you can almost do double jungling with the blue and the gromp on literally any champion in the game. So I don't know. It just seems that Riot is dumbing down the jungle role, and I think that's going to hurt at higher skill levels. But it'll definitely better be better for the average player, which is the majority of the player base. So it's yeah, just it's just the balancing act of you know we got to make the game popular and enjoyable for everybody, while not you know truly ruining the experience of all the better players and older players. I'm a little bit stuck in between old man boomer blue jay take here and just whatever take. The old man boomer blue jay take is, well, back in my day, I just went into the jungle with a muumuu and started whacking camps with my head. And like, so you should have to learn it that way too. Then I think about like, is it really going to matter that much that they're recommending a jungle path for players? Like you kind of mentioned it. If you're a jungler, you kind of know what you're doing anyways. And for the people that don't, whatever, give them a hand, you know, they'll figure out how to do some jungle path. Like, I don't think it really affects um the level of play at high elo which is like i don't know that's where games start to matter a lot more right like does it matter that much in like a gold game if someone else is is if someone is helped with their pathing i think i think two gold junglers would more, be more than happy to have some more information even if the other jungler got information as well and i think that's what you're getting here and then at higher elos they're just like i don't need this fucking thing to tell me where to path i'll, I'll know where to go so I, I just think it's a I think it's a win, honestly, in the end. I think it'll help you, uh, newer players, which I think newer players need some help. That's great. And the high relo players don't need it, and they'll just ignore the whatever. And I think it's that simple. Yeah, Um. the other thing with the jungle, obviously, is the jungle pets that they're adding. Um. Honestly, I have no fucking clue what they are at I all. I ask you what that is. I, I, I literally have no idea, so I can't even talk about it. But okay. it just seems like from my baseline understanding of what it is, they just turn like, you know, in the old jungle where you would buy a specific jungle item where it was like you buy blue, the blue jungle item, which was AP by the, yeah. the green one, which was the tank one. you buy the red one, which was the AD one. Yeah, it just feels yeah. like they're creating little pet versions of those because I read the thing and it says like you buy the green one or I don't even know if it's the green one, the Noxian Ember Cat, whatever the fuck that is, just says this will be this will be the pet. Of no, it says this will be the pet of choice for junglers looking to play more aggressively. It will provide slows and bonus damage. Then this oh. other one, which I'm going to assume is the green one based on it being Ixol. This jungle pet is perfect See. for junglers looking to frontline and tank. So I think it just, for whatever reason, you know, they're adding like the AP tank AD kind of style mini buffs back into the jungle, which they already had previously with the items. That's what it seems like to me. Like, because it know, one's, one's more game altering than the the pings or then the jungle pathing or anything like that well, i mean they change the jungle every fucking year so obviously they're yeah, gonna change i'm just the saying jungle, but... like all the conversation i've seen is that riot's dumbing the game down too much and that's fine if that's your take but i haven't seen nearly any discussion about the pet stuff and this sounds to be way more influential yeah but i mean it's not like i mean it's probably like i mean one it's thing that's that shitty is well i don't know i don't think it's gonna be like massive like oh i got this pet i'm dealing 500 more damage it's just like your little bonus that you get okay i mean we'll see yeah. i don't know much about it and i guess neither do you by the sounds of things so yeah what i guess the, we'll just have to wait and see 
yeah, the, the other notable thing is they're adding a bunch of items and changing a lot with some of the uh, previous items that they added within the item rework. Uh, the most notable thing is tank items are getting a big uh, rework. Uh, the three tank mythics of Sunfire, Iceborne, and Chemtank are no longer mythic items. And they're actually adding a bunch of other tank mythic items or changing existing legendary tank items to mythic items. They're also adding back Praise the Lords, Rod of Ages, and Iceborne Gauntlet. Mm. I fucking love the both of those items. Holy shit. Thank God they're back. Um, but, you know, this is all stuff that it's fun to talk about now, but we have no fucking idea how good or bad they're going to be until you actually play the game when preseason hits. So yeah. I think preseason is going to be good. I like the item changes a lot. Um, I couldn't I don't really... I anything else to add, really. Yeah, I couldn't really give a fuck about the, the pings or anything like that. Like, dude, just add comms. I don't even care. Like, now I just have more ways that I'm just going to get annoyingly pinged by my teammates who don't know what the hell they're doing. Oh, one thing I will actually that I should say is I like the voting on the drag thing. Like, oh yeah, hey, actually, oh true, drag. yeah, that's I actually that's good. good. Yeah, there's there's so many situations where I'm like spam fucking spam pinging dragon, like because I'm I'm watching, I'm like, yo, this is a free ass dragon, let's come take it bot lane, but they're jerking themselves off in lane, and then <laughs> then I go die to the enemy jungler who's alting on me, and their mid laner comes down, and my mid laner forgets to ping, and he's just hitting a wave, and I'm just out to fucking lunch. Did you see Medios and his take on it? He doesn't like the voting at all. Oh, but no. What did he say? During the one game, there, I, somebody in the thing, either Sneaky or Dublift, was like, they should go take drag here. And Medios was like, do you think they're going to vote on it? <laughs> I, thought that was, I thought that was so funny, man. Holy shit. It, it was the, uh, the live viewings were freaking hysterical today, man. Yeah, today oh they God, were funny. So funny. It makes me wonder, like, they should just do live viewings for all the regular season games, honestly. If they're if Riot's not going to let them co-stream it, they should still do the live viewings. It's I don't know why. I remember the first times they did one, I felt like it wasn't that good. It's, it's felt fine to me this time around. I don't know what's changed. Do you get that impression? I don't know. I think one thing that Doublelift said, not even this time, but before, when he was considering doing it for MSI this year was that he didn't know if he was going to be like as comfortable or know what to feel or how different it was going to be, not actually watching the game or not having the game on the screen. And to me, it just seemed like it was a little bit awkward on the first day, but then they just found their groove and it was pretty much the same thing. So Yeah, that's that's kind of how it felt to me. But anyways, we got other quick news to get to. Yeah, this I think is, this is definitely not quick news today, but... Yeah, it's uh, never been quick. Yeah, when has next, quick news ever been quick? Yeah, a couple times, maybe. But uh, we have some Champion Skew stuff to talk about. Um, obviously, you know, Champion Skew has pretty much been the feature of Twitter and Reddit when the World Championship games are not going on. You know, I was going through I was going through the top posts on the League subreddit to get some info for today, and literally the first nine pages are just all like Champion Skew stuff. If it's not like Worlds groups, you know, playing stage results, it's just Champion Skew highlights. Like, oh, Faker fucking outplay. Oh, Gumayushi outplay. Oh berserker outplay like i mean it's it's just really fun that we're seeing all these players in these high level games in north what america was like the drama though what was like the issues that people are having yeah so obviously with all the world's players being in north america and playing on the champions Q server there's been a lot of talk for whatever reason primarily from people that aren't in champions Q saying how it's so bad that there are bad players in champions Q. I say bad quote unquote players and they're going to be your amateur and academy players who are definitely not on the same level as even you know the lcs players let alone 
the professional EU LPL and LCK players who are just miles ahead of them. And, you know, there, there was some even more talk about the restrictions for players being able to come to North America to play in Champions Q. Uh, Nemesis made a video on it where he was denied. He was planning on coming to North America to play in Champions Q, but was denied because he wasn't on an active team from a different region. Uh, Cadrill, who's going to be casting the event, obviously he's still a pretty active solo queue player. He's a challenger level player, wanted to play in it, got denied because he's not on an active team and kind of just the decision making. People seem to be calling into question the decision making in terms of who gets in and who is not in um, for the Champions Queue server. But regardless of all that, I mean, the Champions Queue games have been fantastic and there's been so many like high viewer streams from casters and players just showing these games off because. When are you ever going to see six LPL LCK pros going up against, you know, four other NAEU pros? Yeah, to me, like, it's it's actually so good that you have this. I remember before it happened, like, when they announced that world teams were going to be able to play Champions Q, there was so many people with the take of, like, oh, these pros aren't even going to use it. And I'm like, have you seen, like, have you seen how much people complain about NA solo queue? I think they're going to use it. Now, I could be wrong, right? Things, like We're only like a week into Worlds, right? So things could change. Players might get upset with it or whatever and you know, decide I'm done with Champions Q. I just don't see that happening personally. I don't see how you can say I would rather play against NA one tricks, no offense to guys like Anybot or whatever, than play against actual guys from the other teams. Like I don't see a world where that makes any sense. Wouldn't you obviously want to play Champions Q? I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Yeah, but um, I guess one last thing to point out with that is they moved the servers already back to Chicago because obviously the teams who were not in the playing stage are already in New York and have been joining the Champions League server over the last couple of days, so they've been moved back to the towards the East yeah. Coast. Um, So presumably the players who are still in Mexico were playing on a bit higher ping, but obviously they're all going to be in New York now. Next up, speaking of New York, um, there's been a lot of talk this past week with the world's venue and the setups and Travis Gafford even made a video with regards to the ticket purchasing tickets experience in terms of what Riot has done on their side in terms of advertising and the actual uh, methods of purchasing tickets and the whole process not being <laughs> as good as it can be in his opinion. Yeah, I, I think the video that Travis released, if you somehow haven't seen it, but you're watching this. I highly recommend going to watch that video. Uh, I, I think it's more for people that are attending Worlds, but to me, it just felt like he was so right on with the experience that we've had with Worlds so far, and we haven't even gone yet. But getting tickets was fucking cancer because, you, we, first of all, the ticket information only came out like a month ago, so it came out like before Worlds. That's a huge issue. You didn't know how much it was going to cost. You're just waiting, hoping that you're not having to pay an arm and a leg, which, by the way, the prices were still pretty damn expensive. And all this to say that I think so far Riot is failing with Worlds, honestly. Um, because I think that that, obviously that's a joke, the ticket information stuff, but that's something that's been happening for a while. The other thing is, I don't, I still don't really know why they even went to Mexico, honestly. Um, and I know this, this is kind of like a copy paste take from Travis, but I think he's so spot on. Like, it was such a tiny ass little venue. Could you imagine, Jinter, if they announced that they were coming to like, I mean, you no longer live in Ontario, but let's say they did announce that they're coming to Toronto, which I know they did, but, and then they came to Toronto only for a venue that has like a hundred or 200 seats. I'd be so mad. 
I'd be like, what the fuck did you even come here for, man? We, fans can't even get in. There's like no access, barely. You got a bunch of people fighting over probably what is like a few tickets. And so that makes no sense to me either. Um, so I don't really I don't really get any of that. Yeah, the venue just seemed really, it literally just looked like the LCS studio in terms of the capacity. It just looked like only a few hundred people were there. I will say that I thought the venue looked really nice. I just thought it looked really small, right? Like the players were crammed in and I, I don't remember if it was. Yeah, there was even. Who, who made the tweet that was like, I'm humanoid, crammed in here said. and my face is right in front of the. Yeah. It was humanoid, you said it was, right? I, I can't remember. Yeah, but you know. What we're talking about, if you don't know, is like some of the players were kind of, I wouldn't say complaining, but they were passive aggressively talking about the setups for the actual games that they were playing in terms of them being really small and not having like a lot of space in their given, you know, spot of the desk or spot of the station. And you were specifically on the site uh, buying tickets. You want to give your two cents about what that was like? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, obviously, the ticketing information is a joke, releasing all the dates and everything like less than you know less than i don't even when it was it was like a month and a week before the start of the event but like even you gotta like release this information like three months out at least to give fans and everyone else the chance to plan book you know flights hotels anything it just to me for me i'm not gonna lie it's super easy for me i now live in the area so i'm only like a 20 minute you know train slash subway ride away from downtown new york city so for me it's not a problem but for somebody who's living abroad, like outside of the United States, I could see how difficult that is, you know, not knowing when you need to take time off, you know, having to book your hotels and your flights at a way later date than normal, obviously going to be is going to be more expensive. And, you know, in my position, luckily, I'm enough. I had a MasterCard, so the buying the tickets was pretty easy for me because mm-hmm. if you had a MasterCard, you basically got like a two day jump on the rest of everybody else for ticket sales. So I was able to get mine pretty early on. So it made it somewhat easy for me, but I'm a person who didn't have to deal with the complications of finding transportation, you know, getting a place to stay, um, worrying about if I'm going to be able to get into these ticket sales because I was lucky enough to have a MasterCard, but I could just, for me, it just, if I was in that situation, I'd just be so pissed because, you know, if I'm not as fortunate to have the situation that I'm in, like, it just would be so shit. It's really fucking annoying, but the you might be wondering why the fuck are these guys bringing this up if this is everything Travis said in his video. And you're kind of right about that. But there's two things that I think um, I need to add on to this. One, if we've seen it be scuffed so far, I don't think we're done with seeing scuffed-ass shit. And it makes me worried for what happens in New York um, or in Atlanta or, or at finals for that matter. But two, what I would say to people that are going to Worlds is don't let the riot scuffed shit ruin the event for you because i think at the end of the day it is still a league world's event in north america and i think even though i could totally see the venue being absolutely trash when we go to new york and we go to groups i don't think that we should let it take away from what the event actually is because this is like a once in a decade kind of opportunity right like i realize that worlds was in north america uh what was it six years ago so you might say one in six but they're not going to be back for quite some time. And the other thing, too, is you don't always know where in North America they're going to go, right? Because North America is so fucking massive that maybe you don't get access to, like, I don't know, let's say you're in Atlanta, for example. If they come back to Worlds again in, I don't know, five, six years, are they going to be in Atlanta or anywhere near? Probably not. So what I would say is if this is a once-in-a-decade event for you, 
don't let the scuffed shit stop you from enjoying it because I think this will be absolutely insane, especially for people that have never been to a league event. Um, so what I would say is expect scuff and don't have high expectations, but enjoy what the event is and enjoy the fact that you get to go see maybe an NA team play at Worlds, perhaps. And I think that in itself is enough for me to get really fucking hyped for it. Yeah, I mean, it, we're both going, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, I'm so excited. I can't fucking wait, man. I'm so fired up. But anyways, yeah. that, that's why I think it's I, I wanted to bring up, because I think, first of all, Travis is dead on with pretty much everything he said, but I don't want everyone to just be all negative on the event itself and rather just complain because there's a lot of cool things that happens with an event such as this. Um, yeah. hundred percent. It's going to be, it's going to be sick. Um, we got a couple non worlds things to quickly go over. Uh, first up on the NA side of things, um, Neo 80 carry of Dignitas is not on Dignitas anymore. It looks like he's going to be free agent as well as lighter leader, whatever the hell you want to call him on golden guardians, their mid laner. Or Academy mid laner, but he did play in the LCS a little bit. Um, not on Golden Guardians anymore. So, if I had to guess, it's back to Academy for Neo, and it's back to EU Masters or EU Regional Leagues for Leader. The, the 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 only thing. So I don't want to talk long about this stuff. The only thing that makes me and this leans into one of the other ones. The only thing that this recognize that I recognize with the Leader move is that Inero, who just got promoted to be the GM. That's the other quick news. Like. I guess by him being promoted and leader being let go, I'm guessing it wasn't his move to get leader in the first place. Yeah. It seems like that must have, it seems like all the moves that were made this year have to be on Danon because they let him go. Mm -hmm. Just guessing though, of course. Yep. Um, but then we got a couple EU things really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, Karzi, who's on Vitality, is still under contract with Vitality, but he's allowed to explore his options for 2023 and we said it before, but we all know what exploring options means yeah. when it comes to Professional League of Legends. It means you're out on the fucking street. Yeah, it means go go and explore options somewhere that's not here. <laughs> that's usually yeah. what that means. Um, which is interesting. Anytime you hear of a super team, air quote, yeah. uh, player being let go. I mean, we know that the team ended up disastrously not even making playoffs, so we're not surprised. But it is still interesting nonetheless. And what was the other thing? Uh, well, last up, uh, some further updates slash news on the Astralis uh, situation. Because as we all know, Astralis is looking to sell their spot. And it's been rumored for many months now that that spot is going to be going to Caramean Corp, which is the big LFL team. Pretty much has the biggest social media following in Europe for League of Legends that's not Fnatic or G2. So I think everybody's hoping that they join the league just because they're such a big name brand and they're going to bring the type of money and passion and fans that is wanted and necessary for a league to survive, especially, you know, Europe used to only be it's Fnatic and G2 and now there's Fnatic G2, there's Mad Lions, there's Rogue, maybe, you know, people thought there was Vitality this past year, Caramine Corp coming in, they're going to spend a shit ton of money. If they do get into the league, hopefully, and you know, there'd There's be a some lot of good fun. LEC brands. Oh, for sure. But uh, now, one thing I want to ask you: Do you know? I don't know if you'll know anything about this, but I thought I heard a rumor that one of the issues that they're having is that K Corp doesn't have that much money. Yeah. So the whole thing. There's a hey. We're not experts on this shit. So what I go recommend is go check out LEC Wulu, and he made a Reddit post about this, and I think it's also on his Twitter, and he has like a full breakdown of all the stuff. But I'll just read off some of the important ones. Uh, first up. Because K 
Caramine Corp acquired a Valorant slot for the VCT League, they are apparently running low on cash, which is preventing them from buying the spot from Astralis. And now the latest word is that they might potentially loan the spot to KC. So Astralis might loan the spot for the year to KC before they actually buy it, which would potentially be the year after. So, so it could be like waiting. Like it, it, I guess what might happen is K Corp doesn't have the money right now, so they're getting loaned the spot. But that means if the value of an LEC team goes up next year, they might have to pay more cash. It's yes. just like they're waiting for them. To, it's like they're waiting to have the cash to buy it, but it's going to hurt them in the long run because what it seems like is the owners don't want to give up their shares in the company. Um, and I, I guess reasons for that could be what we saw with Carlos just last week or two weeks ago or whatever, where if you're no longer the captain of the ship, sometimes some decisions are made that don't go your way. And maybe that could be a, a reason why they don't want to sell shares. But with that, you don't exactly have the cash to do everything you want to do. Yeah. Unless and, you're a billionaire. Yeah. And for what it's worth, um, we'll lose rumors about the rosters. We already we obviously talked about in our last episode that Han Sama would likely be on that org, but they are potentially going to be keeping Cabo Shard and Saken for their LEC team, which they already have under contract on the LFL team, which have been two of their longest tenured players over the last couple of years. Cabo Shard was one of the better tops in Europe for pretty much his entire career in the EULCS slash LEC, went over to KC and has been there for the last two years. So He's an LEC level player. Uh, Saken, who's previously played in the LEC, um, under a couple teams, I think. Vitality, one. Misfits, the other. Maybe. Maybe not Misfits. Maybe it's somebody else. I know it was Vitality. But, you know, from the looks of Hansama, Saken, and Kaboshard, that's already looking like a pretty decent team for the LEC, if that's the rumored roster. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, what else, JNT? What else is on the quick news docket? That's it. Nope, you're missing one. What am I missing? Oh, was it the pace? Yeah, yeah, I didn't actually write it down here, but no, thank you. Yeah, for I made sure me. to write it down because I saw you posted it in the, the channel or whatever. Um, I'm really sad about this. I've told you before that I think he is a very underrated caster in North America. Yeah, I agree. I don't think, I don't think if I'm being completely honest, I don't think he does a particularly good job of, of interviewing, but I think his casting, his show casting is very, very good. And I think is very underrated like i i yeah i've said this many times to you i've said it to andrew one of our other buddies i am sad that he's not going to be casting anymore because i think that that's a guy that should have gotten more recognition especially for how long he's been doing it and i think doing an amazing job for some reason doesn't get the uh yeah we don't want to name any names here but he's definitely better than a few of the people on the lcs no a few people on the lcs caster depth charts we'll call it i'm thinking of three people but that's just me i'm only thinking of one well we all know who the one is but we don't need to say it yeah i don't need to can of worms um but anyways i always thought that he should get the same kind of recognition as someone like freak or like flowers because i think he does an amazing job and i guess it looks like he's not going to be doing it anymore so he's leaving the lcs i read the thing i don't really know what he's doing next i kind of got valorant vibes but it seems like he hasn't been given the go-ahead to do valorant stuff it feels to me in pure guess here guys it feels to me like he wants to try and do valorant uh, he did not say anything about Valorant in his post, so I could be completely wrong here. Um, but he says that he still absolutely loves esports. 
Um, but his time with the LCS is done. So I don't, I don't know what's next for him, honestly. Who knows? I have no idea. But uh, if he's with the Riot, still, that'd be cool. Uh, yeah. Anyways, that's it for me. That's it for me. Okay. <laughs> that is it for this episode, then. Um, <laughs> huge shout out to those who have been uh, finding the channel and hitting the like button and subscribing and whatnot. That stuff, you've, of course, helps us. And I will remind you guys that we rely on you guys hitting those buttons to help us grow our channel. Because we we do not get paid to do this. We don't have any, uh, I don't know, any sponsors or anything like that. We are not former LCS players. We don't have this level of clout that you need to be uh, big content creators. And so we rely on you guys helping us with comments and whatnot and getting the algorithm going for us. It has helped us quite a bit uh, over the last couple of months. And so if you guys are enjoying the content, hit the like button, subscribe, please. And uh, obviously, we'll keep doing content whenever we can. At the moment, plan is for next episode to come out on Monday, pretty much right after the games end, because I think group groups week one ends on Monday, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, week one in quotations, because I don't really do it like that anymore. But yeah. Yeah. And I think like we're going to be in New York for week two of uh, whatever, of, of groups. So I don't know. We're going to try to do an episode in New York. Is that what we're, what we're doing? Yeah. I guess we'll have to figure that out. Yeah. How we're going to do we'll, we'll, that. we'll have but to figure now, something out. For now, episode should be normal next week. And then the week following that, we don't know. But we'll have to wait and see. Um, but that's going to be it for now. Hope you guys are enjoying Worlds. I mean, if you're listening to an LCS podcast and EG got out, I'm assuming you did. And hopefully we see more of that in groups. Hopefully we get at least one team out of groups. That is the, the NA dream and maybe someone goes on a run. But that's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us, guys. This has been episode 102 of the Clown Fiesta podcast.